0: Don't make me turn this podcast around. You're listening to the Reno Dads Podcast. We're dads talking about dad stuff. We're doing the dad thing in the biggest little city in the world, Reno, Nevada. But we're talking about things that all dads and parents can relate to. We'll share fatherly war stories, discuss manly things, and even get into the tender moments of fatherhood. We want you to be a part of the conversation, so join us and listen in. Oh, and be warned, dad jokes ahead. Welcome back to the next episode of the Reno Dads Podcast. It's Jonathan here, and I've got Jake in the studio, who's also a Reno Dad contributor and a licensed therapist. So we're going to be talking about some parenting philosophies, uh, parenting and co-parenting in particular. But um, I'll let Jake sort of introduce himself. And I know he has a, a couple of articles that are be te- that we're teeing up that we're going to be uh, seeing on the Reno Dads blog. And uh, I think uh, we'll have a really good conversation to kind of get us kicked off.
1: Hey. Hey thanks man. for having me. Yeah man, I mean, part of the group and all. I guess I know
0: it's about time you came in here. What have you been this doing? This is my baptism, right? Yeah, this is this is it, man. You're finally on the pod.
1: I'm not I'm not really part of Reno Dads unless I'm a guest on the podcast. We've
0: had, um, yeah, we've had some luck with that. We're trying to get everybody on the pod. We're trying to everybody get to talk to, about their um, the the different articles that they're working on because I think it adds for you know good content we've got on the uh, on the blog, but then also to come in and talk about it. We do some interviews around that. So
1: yeah, so totally. here you are. Here I am. Uh, Thanks for introducing me as a licensed therapist. Uh, There are several types of therapists you can have. Um, I am the marriage and family therapist type. And in Nevada, we have multiple people who can do um, what's called psychotherapy or you know, outpatient treatment for, for counseling. So one of which is my, my stripe, which is marriage and family therapy. And then we have licensed professional counselors. Uh, in Nevada, they're called clinical professional counselors. And then we have clinical social workers, uh, psychologists. We have licensed and certified alcohol and drug counselors, uh, we have psychiatrists, and all of those people can do what is tantamount to outpatient uh, talk therapy mm-hmm. in a session. So each of them have their their different stripe, and mine tends to lean more toward family systems perspective, which doesn't mean that I only see families or only see couples or only see children, but that I tend to view people in a systemic context. And, and again, I don't, I don't want to say that other people don't. Uh, that just uh, tends to be our bailiwick in the in the MFT scene, as, as it were. And as it so stands, uh, we're recording this in early 2019, and I'm the current chair of my state licensing board. So part of my responsibilities is that I uh, donate my time <laughs> rather graciously to the state of Nevada for licensing and policing the, the activities of Marriage and family therapy and clinical professional counseling. Okay,
0: so I mean, just as a matter of context too, how big is how many how many people we're we talking about?
1: How many people are are you thinking? I mean, are in that licensed category and so forth? Or our board, our board handles about sixteen to seventeen hundred licensees. As it turns out, our our board for many years was pretty disorganized and fairly inaccessible. Um, customer service wasn't the greatest, and um, and because we hadn't it, rabbit trail this a little bit. Um, we hadn't raised licensing fees on ourselves since 1989, so about 30 years worth of uh, worth of neglect and not keeping up with current trends. So we have a bill before the legislature right now to to change all that. So if you happen to be listening and you want to support these efforts, SB 37 is what it is. But um, our board in particular um, has about 16 to 1,700 licensees, and that counts the intern licensees as well. So if you think of it in terms of like a resident doctor, mm-hmm. um, that, that person is not necessarily... Uh, billable on his or her own, Uh, they still operate under the license of somebody else who's supervising them. We do the same thing with our interns. So if you see a licensed marriage and family therapist intern or licensed clinical professional counselor intern or anything that sounds like that, they are fully licensed. They can they can bill insurance usually through somebody else's uh, registration with that insurance company. But they're but they're just as good as anybody else. They they may be a little green, uh, clinically speaking. But a lot of them are you know in their thirties, forties, fifties, on to second careers, and they have a wealth of life experience, and they're they're just accumulating the state hours to become independently licensed. Roger that. Okay.
0: And so what we were going to talk about, I mean, that's all the sort of context around sure. who's who in the zoo. But I know you, you, def, you, you mentioned a couple of things that we were talking about before we got started here. And, and I know that you've got a couple of articles teed up for the blog. So I was thinking maybe we could just kind of talk about that and see where that takes us. Because I know that there's a lot of, um, I mean, what we're doing at Reno Dads, as you know, and as a contributor, we're not telling people how to be parents. We're not telling people how to be dads, but we are sort of uh, conveying some of our own experiences. And I think the topic that you brought up when we were talking about this earlier is is really interesting to me, especially around co-parenting, being in the situation that I'm in now as a as a divorced dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you know it was really interesting to me. I know when we were first talking about it, like how you were kind of approaching it. So why don't we get that teed up and you know kind of you know see where it goes?
1: Yeah, I think it's really important for parents of any. Uh, sort of angle or uh, I should say caregivers. I mean, I don't want to restrict this just to biological givers of of birth to children, but uh, knowing why you do what you do, speaking to the intentionality component of, of uh, going about life, having a parenting philosophy is, is truly like of the utmost importance that I can think of. If you know why you're raising your kids and how you're doing it, um, your kids are going to turn out better. And, and I don't want to place a judgment on how better looks. It's just that you want to make sure that you're, uh, putting it in a context where you're trying to begin with the end in mind and the end being, you know, hopefully healthy, happy kids who don't get thrown into jail or Or a healthy, happy adults, really. I mean, you're raising, you're raising adults, right? I mean, that's That's, the ultimate goal. That's actually one of the, the, the miseries of, uh, parenting is that we're Raising our children for eighteen plus years just to leave, and it's hard. Oh, tell me about it. I mean, I've got yeah. this seventeen-year-old, you know, senior in high school. She's got a foot out the door, ready to go. I mean, she's ready to go to college. I mean, she's on her way. I met her, and she's incredibly intelligent. She's going to be just fine, uh, thanks to <laughs> your and you know her mom's parenting. Uh, so. You guys have done a very good job with those kids because I I met both of them and they're they're extraordinarily intelligent and very well functioning and they and they interact in that that social environment where where I met them around a bunch of other adults uh, very competently yeah. and I think we we ultimately want to do that we want to produce children who are going to contribute positively to society so having a parenting philosophy uh, at the outset is is really the 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 underpinnings of how that comes about you're not just freelancing you're not you're not going off the cuff you're not just um you know doing it the way that your parents did it not not saying anybody's parents did poorly. Mine certainly did a great job, but I want to make it my own. And and I want to know why I do what I do at every step of the way. So having a parenting philosophy and then communicating that across multiple caregivers' environments, uh, be they households because they're split parents or uh, that you're dropping them off with the grandparents or you're dropping them off at daycare or even teachers to somewhat lesser extent because their role is so much different. They're not parenting, they're educating. Uh, it's, it's important to communicate that. Yeah. So is that something that you think um, when
0: you work with families? Are you actually explicitly writing something down and saying this is what our philosophy is? Or are you, I mean, especially across, a, um a family that isn't sort of nuclear, you know, normal, yeah. you know, kind of thing, or you know, sort of the usual sort of heteronormative type of thing? Are they? I mean, are you when you work with a family? Is that something that you actually sort of try to? Codify. Sort of codify and actually break down
1: sometimes and yeah. th- and that can be done uh, there are there are certain methodologies to, to doing that um, you you dipped into a little bit of uh, what I would refer to as couples counseling really when you're dealing with the with the parents and I'll get into that in just a second but to answer your question directly sometimes is the answer and and one of the things that I Uh, stake my claim to regularly is what uh, is referred to as the four C's of parenting. That comes from a guy who's been a mentor and a friend of mine for many, many years. Uh, His name's Christian Conti. You can look him up at drchristianconte.com. He's got an incredible YouTube channel too. But the four C's are uh, essentially choices, consequences, consistency, and compassion. And uh, I I host a podcast called Noggin Notes. There's a free plug for, for my <laughs> my also free podcast. But we we talked about the four C's on there. But that is that's one episode. Uh, I'm sorry, one example of how you might write something down, take home, tack it to the fridge, and then uh, with that intent, why why are you doing what you do whenever you inter- interact with your kids? Is it are you giving them a choice? And if so, is the choice on your terms? And then hopefully you attach some some pre-told consequences to that and I th- and I think uh consequences in and of themselves we tend to think of them as negative and that's not true it's just, consequence is just a natural byproduct of the choice so any any behavior is going to beget a consequence and right. some of the p- consequences are positive so you choose to do your homework the consequence is you get good grades you choose not to do your homework you, you're going to fail the class so uh, and then and then consistency I think is probably the utmost one of the one of the four C's because it's the hardest to implement because we as human beings tend to be uh, very inconsistent <laughs> right. and, it, and it's impossible to be consistent all the time unless you're a robot. And then when you're enforcing those consequences, especially the negative ones, you want to do it compassionately. So um, you know you can tell your kid, hey, you know my kids are Elijah and Ethan and I'll probably reference them later on. but um, you know Elijah, you know I appreciate that you chose to throw a fit instead of uh, hand the book over and it's time for bed. Uh, now now you get to go to bed without reading. So I'm I'm doing it compassionately. I'm not yelling and screaming. So that's one example of how I could could codify those in, in the four C's. But what I found, and if you know, getting back to the uh, to the couples counseling thing, what I found is simply asking the question, "Do you have a parenting philosophy?" Uh, tends to make people gulp and right. uh, re- uh, recline in their chairs a little bit and let out a, an exhale. And, and I'd uh, be like what do you mean by yeah, philosophy exactly exactly. You know, right, be right. my, exactly what do you mean by that how do you define philosophy and and, and it speaks to my favorite term in all the counseling field which is intentionality which is the uh the spirit behind knowing why you do what you do having the intent as a as a part of your character so why do you do what you do do you know how how to parent children and do you have a foundational understanding of where you're leading them and it doesn't really matter what you choose, as long as you choose something, um, so that breeds an intimacy between the the parents that often they're they're sometimes lacking. If there's stress in a relationship, there's the, the intimacy gets sacrificed and the vulnerability uh, tends to go out the window. So being able to just to 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 help them turn toward each other and and bring everybody closer. Uh, in and of itself, I found, is beneficial to the parenting mm-hmm. philosophy overall. But then they get to choose. Then they get to talk about it. It's almost like having a financial conversation. You say, what What do you want to do with your money? And, you know, same gulp, same backward lean in the chair, and same exhale of a sigh. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I never really thought about that. It's just always bill after bill after bill. And so if we if we take two steps back and have a macro perspective of how we're raising our children, we can then make an informed decision about how we're doing that. Right, right. Yeah, I think um, it's so
0: interesting to be closer to the sort of period in time when my children are making their way into the world, right? I mean, my daughter, as you've met and, and as you mentioned, is really a foot out the door. My son is not too far behind in that sense. You know, he's thinking about, starting to think about colleges in a real way and and thinking about all of the choices we've made along the way, uh, including, you know, the, the decision that we made to split i mean right. and and that all of those things have had an impact um all of the ways we've interacted with our kids over the years and i i know personally that i've you know made mistakes over the years and you know hopefully tried to learn from them i think i you know you know like you said i think the kids are pretty well adjusted but it's still you know the the it's going to be interesting to see how they go even into the college years and you know and beyond because i think that there's a lot that i would do differently or not so much differently i think that you know there's a whole bunch of things that happened in the aftermath of the, of the split that I think um, I would do differently for sure. But I do think that they, you know, it's interesting to hear, like every once in a while you hear something from a 17 year old who, and I said something, you know, 10 years ago and somehow it's stuck. So I just want (laughs) to say that like when you're in the throes of something, because we have a lot of uh, our listeners and a lot of the, you know, dads in particular that we work with, right. That we kind of, you know, contribute with, they have young children and they're, Mm -hmm. you know, in their sort of, elementary school years and you will be surprised that you will hear that stuff that you said when they were in like third, fourth, fifth grade, you'll hear it again in high school and you'll be like, wait, you were actually listening to that?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And that, and that speaks to a vulnerability of yourself to be able to receive that feedback again from them and not deny it and say, ah, it wasn't me. I never said that. <laughs> and, you, know, you must yeah. have been listening to somebody else. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but, but to that point, it's it's all the more important to know why we're what, what's coming out of our mouth is coming out of our mouth. And sometimes impulsivity takes over and emotions run high and cognition doesn't necessarily take root. So we, we do say things we re- regret later. Um, we make choices in the moment with the information we have, and we don't get to look back and go, well, I should have done it. You can't. There's no should haves. It's, it's pick up and move forward. So it's important to acknowledge mistakes too as a parent because ultimately what we're doing is we're modeling what we want our kids to do. And sure. even if we don't want them to do it, we're still modeling it. Right. They're going to see both. So when you come up with
0: a philosophy or you identify what that is, I mean the next step, I guess, in some ways would be to be potentially um, – put that into play right to so kind of put it into use um, and I also was curious I mean so there's some things that I would imagine that you recommend around that but I'm also curious about like and we can go into this and in however you want to do it but like w- how are you sort of suggesting that somebody let's say goes to another caregiver and you say okay this is our philosophy this is how we want you to sort of interact with our kids or do you how do you sort of communicate that across sort of other caregivers and make sure that they're being as consistent as you, you, you can you know, sort of allow for.
1: I think that the basic understanding of, of that we need to have of other caregivers is that they're not going to do it your way, right? Um, no matter how much you communicate your desires, they're going to do it their way, and that's fine. And I think that children should have uh, an exposure to a diversity of thought, as well as a diversity of environments. And as much as we want to teach peace and um, Reconciliation and forgiveness and all that to our kids—they're going to encounter violence and willful neglect and uh, evil, you know. So, so we don't necessarily want to jump in front of every potential negative outcome because that doesn't teach them anything either. Uh, but we don't want to just go purposely exposing them to that stuff. So, right. what we want to do is we want to uh, pave the path as best we can to our our other caregivers. And and I tell parents, so the four C's are my personal bailiwick because they come from a friend of mine and and I like them and. And they seem to work uh, regardless of environment. But whatever parenting philosophy you manufacture for your own home, I think that parents have three jobs. And and I'll get to the kids' three jobs in a second. But parents have three jobs, Uh, values, education, and safety. You keep your kids safe, uh, you teach them something, and then you introduce values to them. And it doesn't matter what those are as long as they're they're taught so that they're not having to absorb them from the external environment. Because you may end up having a kid come home with values – Uh, that are not your own, that you don't believe in, that don't align with your own uh, family's philosophy. They may learn something you wish they hadn't learned, and they may inadvertently put themselves in danger. And we don't want that to happen. So I I tell people that, you know, as long as the values, the education, the safety are are in place, then the the other caregivers are free to interpret that how they, they wish your job as a parent is to teach them what those values, education, and safety are. So um, if, if in one home, it's perfectly safe to go shoot guns, for example, and all the protocols are in place that everybody is, uh, you know, respectful and, and understands that firearm safety is important and all that, then the other home is free to do that. What you don't want to do is uh, say, you know, keep my kids safe, and you're a non-gun household, and then the, uh, you know, the grandparents are like, we, we shot guns, we're going to teach your kids guns, and then you lose your mind over it, right? Well, part of it,
0: I think, is what you said, too, is like once you're w- when you sort of convey those values, ideally, then those are internalized by the children in a way that they understand them. And then they can recognize when they see something that's out of line with that right. in another place. And the same thing with safety. And they could say the same thing about I mean, granted, this takes a degree of maturity and a degree of sort of you know, sort of intelligence and awareness that, you know, some younger kids might not have, but certainly by the time they're, you know, sort of middle school teenagers, they, they will know, like, that's not in line with what my parents have, you know, taught me about what our values are. So they could find themselves in a situation at a party, for example, and this mm-hmm. is, you know, something that I'm dealing with, you know, with teenagers, they will find themselves at a party and they will find themselves in a situation that will be unsafe in some Correct. ways because of the, you know, sort of you know, the dynamic, sort of dynamic yeah. or whatever's happening. And they also might find themselves, you know, whether people are using you know, or you know, abusing substances or something like that, and they can say, Well, that's not my those are not my values, and they right. can walk away from it, or they can find a way to get out of it, or they know that they can be safe by calling their dad or their mom to say, Pick me up, I need to go. In the
1: counseling world, we're taught uh, at a quote unquote early age when we're fledgling clinicians, yep. that uh, we are not responsible for somebody's change. All we are responsible for is creating an environment that's conducive to change. And I tell this to parents frequently that their job is not to necessarily sculpt their kids. Their job is to create an environment that's safe enough for those kids to come back when they're in distress and 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 consult. So. Um, given your, your party analogy there, if things are going sideways and the kids maybe made a few mistakes and it's 1130 p.m. and, and uh, they don't believe that they can go access mom or dad because mom and dad have become so judgmental that they've shut down that avenue, your kid is now less safe. So you want to create an environment where you can deliver consequences that are negative, you can enforce the rules, you can inflict you know what amounts to, to pain for choosing poorly and still have the child come back to you with the trust and credibility that you want from them. And the way you build credibility is going back to that, that third C of the four C's, which is consistency. Consistency breeds credibility time and again and it and and i've encountered so many parents who parent out of guilt where they say i don't want to cause my kid pain i can't stand to see him in distress (laughs) and so instead you're you're laughing um instead they they bail them out of that instead of riding through it and what that actually breeds is is an inconsistency which breeds a loss of credibility such that when the kid is in a a tough bind they don't know whether or not mom or dad is going to drop the hammer on him yell and scream at him shame him or welcome them with open arms, uh, you know. Even you know, like the prodigal son was welcomed back. Right. So we, the consistency is super important, and you want to create an environment in your home such that your kids are welcome to return with their uh, potentially embarrassing uh, series of choices that they made, and know that they're not going to get you know kicked out of the household for it. Um, and that's tough. That's that's a tough rub, especially in a society like you know, Western civilization that ranks its crimes in a hierarchy of, you know, uh, bad to worse. Um, we don't we don't necessarily want to do that because it can create an apprehension in the kid um, that they that they end up making poorer decisions later out of those initially bad decisions. Uh, and and you know, just should, make a bad situation worse. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. and And I think to that end, you know, there's probably people listening who are saying, you know, like yourself, or, you know, have kids in their adolescence go, well, that sounds to me like something I, I should have built in in the first place, and now it's too late. And and to that I say it's never too late. Kids are amazingly resilient, uh, just like adults are. We can all change. And, it, I mean, if I didn't believe that, if I didn't fundamentally believe that people can change at any point in their lives, my profession would cease to exist because right. we would just be stuck in our patterns. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I'm I'm sort of dealing with that and have dealt with
0: that in different ways, and it's it's been a challenge, I will say, uh, at times. From the, I mean, from a personal standpoint, I won't get into too much detail other than to say that, you know, we tried to put in some, uh, I you know, I think I thought we communicated pretty clearly on some things, for example, around driving,
1: yeah. or
0: like cell phones and things like that. The things that you know you're sort of dealing with now through you know middle school. You know, like we, you know, we I thought we had some pretty good, you know, sort of intentions with, okay, this is how we're going to deal with the cell phones and this mm-hmm. is how we're going to deal with driving. And, and you know, when we did that and, you know, I, I, we made the effort to do things like even write it down and say, hey, this is what your responsibilities are as a, you know, as a kid, you're going to have this great privilege of a, you know, of a phone and here's how you're going to keep it. And then we, here's how we're going to, you know, sort of keep our end of the bargain as well. And some of that got, you know, sort of, you know, sort of waylaid when, you know, things changed in our family, but um, it, you know, the idea of sort of writing things down and being very consistent is really very important to me. I mean, from my background uh, or just who I am. Um, and it was, a, you know, it was a lot uh, different from, you know, say, the, you know, the sort of the mom standpoint or mm-hmm. things like that.
1: And I, I think she just had a different you know point of view of how yeah. we were
0: going to enforce some of that stuff.
1: Yeah. And, there, and there's no judgment in there. Uh, one is not better or worse than the right. other. Um and, and what I would tell parents is that if they're struggling with a lack of consistency across households, uh, say it's the, uh, the, the biological parent in a different home in a, in a split family like yours, or if it's just grandparents who tend to spoil the kids and not um, pay heed to what the, you know, the, the, the actual parents want, uh, or, it's, or it's the teacher with uh, loose boundaries at school, uh, you know, make, maybe lets them turn in their assignment far later than, than was assigned – what I tell those folks is it doesn't matter, and I want it. sorry, I should probably put an asterisk on that. It does matter, but it doesn't necessarily matter in the very long run what somebody else's environment does because kids intuitively want to be parented, they crave structure, and they desire consistency. So if you yourself in your own home can provide that stuff, it doesn't matter what the rest of the world does to them or for them or what they, what they bail them out of. Eventually in the long run, they always figure out who is the the most valuable person to their life. And I mean, we've got research that backs this up and I don't have to stipulate to that, but I think intrinsically, we all know that, um, when people have our best interests in mind and not simply our, um, you know, compatibility or our fun or our, our collegiality, then we tend to be drawn toward those types of, of figures, and it may take kids till they're you know twenty five or thirty five even before they figure it out, but they will figure it out.
0: So I'm going to hold you to that, Jake, yeah. because I'm going to call you in a couple of years. That's when fine. I, when I, when I'm I find not going it. anywhere. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been interesting. I mean, and I, I I I hear that, and I have you know from my uh, therapist, <laughs> have you know have had that very you know same conversation. Like this is a long. This is the long game. This yeah. is you're not in this to sort of win some, you know, sort of short term thing. And I wrote a, a, an interesting piece, I think, on Reno Dad's about that. that. Well, was it was pretty interesting. It was about you know, sort of the the Disneyland dad versus the everyday dad. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a bit of that in there too, from my standpoint, which is that I don't have as much, you know, sort of day to day contact with my kids, just you know, as a matter of circumstance, mm-hmm. and um, you know, the sort of sort of those trust moments too and those and that sort of ongoing consistency i think it happens in those day-to-day you know interactions so it's hard for me to establish some of that personally and it's been something that i've been you know challenged with over the last couple of years but i do think what you've said is, is is you know is is consistent with what i've heard from other you know sources around this conversation i've had with therapists and saying like yes you know you will you will you know it, the the structure you're providing and the sort of sort of approach that you're taking is the is the one that is best for you and best for your kids and it will it will it will serve in the long term to like give them what they need and they will recognize it at some point that it's something that they you know needed at the time and even if it was you know not as sort of consistently there from a day to day perspective
1: well it's nice to know that I'm not a complete charlatan in. Saying oh. this stuff, but um, <laughs> beyond that, uh, it doesn't matter how much time or frequency you spend, so long as that time is spent intentionally. And and really, at the end of the day, yes, your kids are free to choose what they want, and they are autonomous beings, and that freaks the hell out of most people. That um, you know, even at the age of you know ten or eleven, you're not going to make your kid do anything. You can influence them to do certain things based on your own credibility, based on a history of consistency. But you can't make anybody do anything. And we all have choices, right? So uh, when you're with whoever you're with, and we'll take it out of the parenting realm for a minute, um, if you're in front of an audience briefly, all you can do is deliver what you yourself are able to carry through with. So if you make a promise, follow through with it, and that goes with you know not just you know you better not or else, but also with if you do, then I shall provide, and that goes for ice cream after a you know compliant performance or whatever too. So uh, consistency goes both ways. It's not just being the heavy-handed enforcer; it's it's about just simply delivering on what your promise is. And uh, I'll I'll just share that back in December that we're recording this in early March, but back in December, I had a moment where I just. I, I had been overcome by a series of uh, events in my life and I, I was yelling at my children who are three and a half and one and a half at the time. And I, I just kind of had this epiphany moment where I was like, what am I doing? Like, I'm, I mean, this is radio, so you can't see me, but like, I'm, I'm 200 pounds. I'm 6'1", like like i'm built like a linebacker i'm yelling at a toddler like what, what, what do i have to prove here and i just i made a promise in that moment i said uh you know buddy i'm, I'm really sorry because my, my toddler who's smarter than i am said uh, i don't like it when you yell at me daddy and uh and it about brought me to tears which is appropriate uh and you can learn more about that in my shame column <laughs> that i wrote for reno dads yeah uh and and i said you know what i'm I'm not going to yell at you anymore uh, about stuff. I'm going to yell to get your attention for sure. And, and I told him that. And by God, I'm going to hold to that because I made a promise. And that is consistency. So, right. you know, you know I've, I've since yelled at him, but it's to, you know, drop the sharp object or stop hitting his brother. But it's not a continual beratement in a loud voice, right. which is just totally uncalled for for a, for a child. I mean, these children are walking the earth for the first time. We're all walking the earth for the first time, really, at any given point in our lives. But we, with our 40, 50 years worth of experience under our belts, as I'm referencing me and you uh, successively there. Yeah, um, thanks. We we owe it to them not to make presumptions about their capacity that they don't yet possess. And the only way they will possess that capacity is if we teach it to them. So there's, there's no possible way that my three-and-a-half-year-old could ever know anything that I didn't teach him or my my mother or my wife. But, I mean, he's got a very restricted environment. So for me making the assumption that he shouldn't hit his brother, like, <laughs> that's what kids do when they get a stick in their hand. So yeah. i, I got to meet him where he is and, and be compassionate about that and then educate him, not just yell at him.
0: So do you want to go back? And uh, you said the the kids had three jobs mm-hmm. too. I was wondering if you wanted to bring those up. I was wondering I think if you'd a... remind me of it. Yeah, I typed I it I in front of
1: me. Yeah. Yeah, so parents' parents' jobs are uh, values, education, and safety. Uh, kids' three jobs. And this isn't like, um, you know, some, something you can look up and find a research study on. This is just Jake's good idea. But uh, uh, school chores and fun. So they have an order uh, for children, and it is school, then chores, then fun. And presumably when they're done with uh, K-12 education, school turns into something else. Uh, but, but they're free to make that choice once they're adults. But while they're children, they're they're working under your roof, I I would highly encourage you to rank order these as school number one, chores number two, fun number three. And for those of you who are listening who have adolescence, uh, fun is anything that's not school and chores. And chores is anything that you assign. School is school. So, uh, you know, homework assignment comes before doing the dishes. And I, I would really encourage you not to get those confused because when the kids get them confused... Uh, stuff tends to fall apart real quickly. They, they prioritize video games or the part-time job over the social studies assignment, or they don't clean up the dog poop because they're out, you know, uh, throwing discus with the track and field squad. And so we want those in order, school chores and fun. And the temptation, I think, as you grow older is that those become fungible. They can, they can be replaced and tabled and put aside. And well, the dog poop can get cleaned up Saturday instead of Thursday. But when the parents know that the trash gets picked up Friday, you got dog poop sitting for a week, uh, stinking up the joint if it doesn't get thrown out Thursday night. So, you know, we, w- we want to we keep those in mind. There is an order at school, then chores, then fun. I, I, I'm curious because I, I was wondering,
0: I mean, when you were saying those things, Um, I I totally agree. School is like the number one sort of priority for kids, you know, to to really focus on and and that
1: has been a high priority in our in our family for That's a That's only time. by the way because it's mandated in our United States of America. So if it, it, you know, if, if it weren't, you know, legally mandated, that may be a different conversation, but yeah. for now we, we kind of got to comply with the law. Yeah, and and I think that it
0: it serves us well to have an educated populace. So let's say let's just, say, let's just say leave it there, but yep. I think also when you say chores, I would sort of expand that a little bit to maybe consider just like family things and family obligations. Mm-hmm. so I think the family obligations include contributing to the family sort of well-being in the home that includes things like chores but it also I think includes things like being present for the family things that you do and yeah, a, birthdays you know, and uh, yeah so, so I would probably you know, sort of expand it a little bit and then I, I agree like the things
1: that are fun are yeah they will always be the last priority in that in that list that's why these are foundational components they're not specific in any way because I think they that that uh, definition of chores as you put it points back to the values part of being a parent you're teaching them that family is valuable ahead of part-time job for nine bucks an hour um it's amazing that i'm saying that now because when i was working my part-time job it was 425 an hour but uh oh, you should see what my, my my
0: kids are making for um for um babysitting these days and tutoring and things like that it's a it's a pretty penny one
1: was probably more than i'm making <laughs> <laughs> no i doubt it but uh the uh the point is, still stands that you are the deliverer of what a chore is so um, and, and with that you can build in some some importance and some uh, buy-in right so hey you know uh, Aunt Sally's only gonna retire once from the you know the state with her job uh, it's really important that you be there and that you forego the the extra shift you can pick up for your 36 bucks or whatever <laughs> and, yeah you know,
0: sure yeah yeah, I like that construct. I mean, it's really nice to have these kind of boil down into um, these, you know, sort of relatively simple things that, you know, p- that parents could take with them anywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. and they can. And I, I presume if they're working with folks in your practice and things like that, that those are some of the things that you're doing is to try to help coach them into influence those parents to become, you know, sort of aware of those cho- those, you know, sort of Priorities and kind of put them into those um, into that framework.
1: Well, it all speaks to the the parenting philosophy. So I do I do a lot with emotional functioning. It's I guess you could say it's the probably the, the core of um, the uh, the the core of what I do is emotional functioning. And you can learn more about that in the the articles I write and the and the podcast and YouTube channel and whatnot. But um, the uh, the idea is that if you know how to tolerate your own emotion, you can then meet somebody in their own emotion, and you can then educate them. So this this speaks directly to parenting, where if, if I know what disappointment is, I can teach my kid how to work through his own disappointment and then align expectations differently or whatever. And I, I'm not going to be able to to necessarily communicate a parenting philosophy if I myself am not able to look at myself with that same emotional vulnerability and say, whoops, I might have screwed that up. Um, That's okay, there's room for growth. If I'm not able to ride through that wave, be emotionally vulnerable and then accept feedback, I'm not gonna be able to teach it to my kid either uh, because I won't be able to lay the foundation of what I expect and then uh, want follow through and then when the inevitable slip happens, I'm not going to be able to coach him through. All I'm going to jump to is anger or contempt or something. And um, this is not an emotional functioning podcast, but the idea is such that I myself as a parent need to be able to tolerate my own emotional vulnerability and distress in order to coach my kids through theirs mm-hmm. so that I'm not jumping in front of every negative consequence and bailing them out because right. then they don't learn anything. Yeah, So I think, you know, in, in light of all of the things we've discussed, and I know we've
0: gone like uh, longer than most of our podcasts already, which is, I mean, I wow. could go on for a while on this one because it's, it's something that is so relevant to me and something that I'm, have been living through for the you know past couple of years in terms of learning how to be more consistent across, you know, sort of, what are inconsistent, you know, sort of circumstances, Mm -hmm. you know, from what we started out as a family. Um, And we typically, like I said, you know, earlier, we're not, you know, uh, at Reno Dad's trying to, you know, sort of uh, preach how to parent. But I think there are some things here that um, I would say, like, how do we, you know, what are we going to leave our listeners with in terms of some things about what to be thinking about, where to look for resources, where to kind of, you know, find their way through some of these, because this conversation, I think, is something that I I would really like to expand to other dads, right? I think when they are thinking about how do they become better parents, meaning, like, how do they parent with the outcome in mind, like you said earlier, which I think is a really great way to sort of think about it, how do they sort of give voice to their parenting philosophy, and then how do they implement that in a really, you know, consistent way? You You know, are there things that we should you know, sort of point them to now or are there places that they can go? Or is it really something that, hey, if they are really serious about this, they are going to have to go find somebody like you, Jake, or somebody, you know, in the practice to help them kind of really, you know, sort of sort through all of this and be better at what they're doing with their kids.
1: Well, we're already, you know, well over the typical time. Um, so I could dive into that can of worms. <laughs> never surface. Yeah. But I, at the, I, th- I think the short answer would be, my, my, the company that I co-own is called Zephyr Wellness, and, and we have a YouTube channel. It's, it's got one guy on it. It's me. But um, but I, I put up some videos from time to time. And Dr. Christian Conti, who I mentioned before, uh, would be a valuable resource. C-O-N-T-E is how you spell his last name. We'll and put his, a link We'll put a link up on the yeah, page. His yeah, his YouTube channel is amazing. He's got a, a video that's uh, reached almost a million views, which is crazy to, to me and him because we're like just normal people like us. Um, but it's called 10, 10 Ways to Discipline Your Children. And then um, and the four C's, obviously, like I mentioned. But uh, the, I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about the the thing you brought up, which is consulting a professional, right? So if at the end of my career, 30, 40 years from now, I don't know how long this is going to go, but um, I want to look back and, and be able to say that I helped normalize a conversation about mental wellness the way that we talk about physical wellness, right? Okay. So we've got people posting CrossFit videos on Facebook, and I would like people to post uh, selfies from the lobby of Zephyr Wellness on Instagram saying, Getting my anxiety treatment on you, you know, take a picture. <laughs> because I think it should be normal to talk about our own deficiencies so that we can overcome them. Um, it's unfortunate now, and I'm not going to get on a political soapbox, but it's unfortunate that in the medical field, mental health is the only practice. That requires something to be broken before it's fixed we have no funding for preventative care if you look at your insurance benefits there is no such thing as funding for preventative mental health care where you can just walk into a clinic like zephyr and say hey i'm just here to pop the hood check make sure the belts and hoses are tight and go go out you know unless you're paying cash um, but if you're billing your insurance, they need a diagnosis and they need us to know that something's broken before it can be fixed. And that can be very stigmatizing. I hate the word stigma. I just want to try to get away from it. But, but it is. It, it puts us in a, in a shadow. And, and we, we don't like that. I would like to normalize that conversation. That's why I tackle everything through the, the lens of emotional functioning because emotions are something we all have, neurologically speaking, that are necessary To know what's going on in the environment and if you if you know what you're doing emotionally the rest just kind of unfolds so i would say if you're if you're in that situation and you're listening to this podcast and you're like wow jake's really got it going on he's got a mind full of fire and i'd love to have some of that like i'm personally not taking clients right now but but um don't be afraid to reach out and uh you know flip through the the ah, flip through the yellow pages how old am i um (laughs) google someone Psychologytoday.com is a great way to find people uh, who are clinicians in your community, and match up bios. Like, just look at somebody's biography and see see who matches what you want. And if I could make an exhortation, like, don't let insurance stand in the way. There's a, there's a lot of insurances that just don't pay well. Not everybody's networked and all that stuff. Find the best bio you, you can. And if you're gonna dip into your pocket for you know a thousand or fifteen hundred bucks worth of car repair because you need something updated. Do it for your mental well-being because you've got your family the rest of your life. You got your car for like 12 years, at most, maybe six. Um, so dip in, just just shell out the money, get it taken care of. Um, don't don't let finances stand in the way, and and be okay consulting others about this. As dudes, I think we we have it worse than than anybody because we're raised in this environment where it's like it's not cool to admit that you're you're weak in some area. And I just say that's that's nonsense. Well, I'd, I'd like to,
0: exactly what you just said there, I would like to sort of kind of pile on there. And I think instead of saying weakness, what you said earlier about being vulnerable. So yeah. this is the thing that I love about the Reno dads in particular is that this group of men in particular, I think is opening up this conversation around that, like being able to say, you know, you have these vulnerabilities, you have this sort of need to sort of talk about the, things that you're not comfortable doing as a dad or, you know, you have these sort of questions about fatherhood. Like, that's the point. Like that's what we're doing at Reno dads. And I'm really like, more than anything else, you know, we can talk to lots of really great folks in the, in the community. We can talk to, and we do great content. We do great events, but what I'm hoping that people will hear when they listen to something like this and they read your articles and they read the articles that we are putting out there that show, Mm -hmm what we are encountering as men, as dads, and what we are finding ourselves to be, you know, where we're finding ourselves to be either lacking or just not as capable, that when we say that out loud and we give it voice and we say, you know, and we sort of admit to it that we are putting ourselves in a, in a vulnerable situation. Mm-hmm. And as a result, it's not a weakness. It's in fact really a strength, I yeah. mean, and in, in should be viewed that way. And I, it was a really interesting thing. I mean, I'll, you know, sort of, we do, you know, we're, we are like sort of longer than we've been on, on this um, That's okay. episode. but li- I was people are listening, that means they love us. Yeah, well, what's interesting <laughs> to me is that there was a great um, uh, event a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, it was uh, Obama was doing something with um, Steph uh, um, Curry, uh, and they were talking about just this, like how to be vulnerable and again, like being masculine without being, you know, kind of tripping into toxic masculinity mm-hmm. means just that, like you don't have to grow up to right. be, you know, to be a man. You right. have to, you, you know, what you have to be is man enough to say, I'm having this problem. I cannot figure it out on my own. How do I
1: get help? Well, it's humble. It's it's humility, and I and I think just to push back a little bit on the weakness thing, I think we we as a culture have judged weakness as bad, and so that if therefore you are weak, then you are therefore bad as a person. I just think and the word in has true. a connotation. Absolutely, in it exactly. Does. And, and you know, and I'm I, my, my undergrads in journalism, so I'm on a one man mission to correct everybody's you know lingo. But um, the the weakness is a good thing. It, it allows you to, in your weakness. Find your strength by overcoming it or pushing through it and then growing from it. So vulnerability, weakness are all interchangeable as far as I'm concerned. Um, and if anybody trips up over weakness, that's fine. Just substitute the euphemism of vulnerable. Uh, it doesn't bother me one bit. The point is to get there. Get there and acknowledge that you don't know every damn thing in the world and that you can learn from others. And in turn, that will benefit your kids. It will benefit your your um, employees it'll benefit your spouse all the relationships all Absolutely. the as, as,
0: as you understand yourself the better you can be
1: interacting with
0: anybody right anybody that you encounter because you understand yourself and you have this self-awareness i mean this has been a journey for me over the last couple of years in particular i mean you know just you know through like i said through the challenge of, of a divorce and like finding myself here in reno you
1: know mm-hmm. without
0: a whole lot of support yeah. so you know i i think that um you know what I have personally encountered and what I've personally experienced, you know, sort of speaks volumes to this. And I, I could not agree more in terms of like, being able to find your way through that and then recognize that that was a weakness or that was a you know, vulnerability or however right. you wanna characterize it. And I've, I've been trying to address it in this way and these ways, and then again, like however you do this in, the, in your relationships, being aware of it as you sort of interact with people.
1: And the cool part is that once you get through one of those per- periods of vulnerability and you grow from it and you become stronger, you can, you can point back and go, look, look where I was. Hey, everybody can do this. And there's a saying that, that says that um, if you are human, you must therefore have human nature. Therefore, any human that's ever done anything is also in your nature. Whatever they did is in your nature. So all the greatness that anybody's ever done, you can do that. And uh, along with all the, the bleakness too. So let's, let's be open to the idea that, that we can humble ourselves to our very nature and say, you know what, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need some help in this process. And that's where where you know places like reno dads come in because we can we can be that that silent sounding board for through a podcast or articles where people are just kind of like clicking and be like am i alone in this <laughs> no you're not right <laughs> not at all and yeah I, and i i've really enjoyed
0: your articles over the you know the, the span of the time that you've been contributing and i and i'm really looking forward to more of them as they come out because i think i think this is the conversation like to me at, at its core what reno dads you know can provide is just that like mm-hmm. somebody will click on a link or listen to a podcast and say, oh, wow, I have that. Uh, and I'm and I'm experiencing that now. I know that I'm not, you know, by myself. Yeah.
1: It's... Yeah. I mean, I mean, look, man, at the end of the day, like it, all I want is if, if I have to tack up drywall for a living and nothing against construction. I just um, it's not that's not my thing. And I don't do construction. I'm not very good at it. But but if I have to go learn how to tack up drywall for a living because everybody's happy and healthy and they no longer need psychotherapy. I'm gonna be blissful because I get to walk through a community that's healed. That where, where I don't have to see people begrudging the cashier at the at the store because they themselves are in such a place of euphoric self-awareness that we don't i don't have to have i don't have to endure stories of my kid coming back from school being bullied on the playground because people are raising their children to love and accept and and forgive and and move forward um there's there's no bitterness there's no resentment so like i would love to therapize myself out of a job that's why that's why i give all this stuff away for free you know like i'm not tracking it it's not it's not a thing for me uh podcasts and articles and you know reno dads and um, service to the state and all that stuff. It's just like, I just want people healthy, man. Like I just, I just want people to be, um, happy. And I think the pursuit of happiness is, and I wrote an article about that too. You can find it at Zephyr Wellness, but, um, the pursuit of happiness is ongoing and yet it's ever present because you can find it wherever you are. And as long as we just let go of that, you know, comparison and judgment and all that stuff, um, be where we are, raise our kids, love others, and kind of just let go of the other stuff uh, that may distract us from that, we're going to end up being healthy. And... Yeah. That's a great, I, I
0: think that's a really great place to end. I mean, we yeah, kind of sure. wound, we wound ourselves around a lot High of different five. conversations. High five <laughs> there, Jake. Well, thanks so much for coming in and uh, we will definitely have you back on because this has been a conversation that I know we will want to continue uh in the future. And, um, yeah, if you have any questions, you know, uh, reach out to us on Reno dads and we'll, uh, we'll talk to, you. We'll, we'll hopefully hear from you guys soon. Thanks. You've been listening to the Reno dads podcast on renodads.com. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Stop by renodads.com and click on contact us and let us know what you think and what you'd like to hear on our show. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Reno dads and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We hope you'll join us here for our next episode, and we'll see you online at renodads.com.